0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes out of Matthew, the sixth chapter of Matthew, a, a, verse that I'm, a series of verses I'm sure are familiar to you. Before I read these verses, I want to share that we at First Evangelical Presbyterian Church believe that this, this word is true that it's God's truth for us. It's living, it's active, it's not some ancient book, uniquely and fully inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's the only infallible way of faith and practice. So we need to know what it says. Hear God's Word. From Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray a moment. Heavenly Father, we we do love you and thank you for the truth of your word. It is truly our, our rock, our lighthouse. Lord, as we ponder around this word just a few moments here this morning, may your Holy Spirit move within us and stir us, Lord, to understanding, to conviction. How should we be living? How should we be honoring your truth? Lord, it's our prayer that we might be changed just a little bit as we sit at your feet and as your truth permeates our hearts and minds. We give you all the praise, O God, and all the glory. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In any given year, the statistics tell us that somewhere 19-20% of Americans will suffer an anxiety disorder. That's twice the number of those who suffer from depression. I know we tend to lump all those things into one big thing. Depression runs somewhere in around a third of us. Our levels of anxiety and, and depression and all these kinds of, of mental sicknesses really have increased dramatically over the last um, several years. In fact, a psychologist, Robert Leahy, says that the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety that the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. I know that's a long ways ago. And for some of us, that's a real long ways to go. But think about what it says about the world we're living in today. That the average American child has the same anxiety level as the psychiatric patient of the 1950s. Material comfort and security may be higher now than then. But other prevailing issues like separation from family, both extended and and otherwise. Loss of community. Fears founded and unfounded of, of a climate crisis or terrorism. Immersion in technology. Increased focus on activities outside the home. Sports and music and social clubs and all those things. Lack of emotional support. Those are just some of the many, many contributing factors that, that we deal with today that have, have accentuated greatly over what they were so many years ago. This psychiatrist, Lee, he puts it, he says, we live, you and I, in an age of anxiety and we become a nation of nervous wrecks. Maybe if we went even further, and we looked at some of the prescription drugs that are sold by the millions, even billions these days, as we try to deal with this nervousness, this worry, this anxiety that we're in, it would say the same thing. You may have already experienced some of this anxiety just this past week with family, friends, food, hurry, 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 go, 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 get up, go, it's, it's coming. Strive as we may. It's impossible to free ourselves from anxiety, totally. Especially since in so many ways the, the culture and the society you and I live in, we're anxiety-driven. We're pushed. And If we don't worry a little bit, it's not healthy. And yet, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus into our world And Jesus very flatly states, do not be anxious. Do not worry. There's no doubt that's easier said than done. But nevertheless, it is God's prescription for our better life, for how we should be living. It isn't just a platitude. Often we'll tell each other, don't worry about that, don't worry about that. It's just a way of putting things down, putting it off, putting it away. But it's a truth. It's a truth from God that we need not only hear, but we need to apply into our lives, in the lives of our children, our grandchildren. Why do we think so many, we have such a high rate of suicide amongst our, our children these days? What a tragedy. All because of anxiety and worry. I don't know about you, but I, I get a little bit nervous maybe when When God's word speaks sort of directly to me, it kind of jumps off the page, hits you right where you're living. I'd sort of rather see this word as a word for someone else. So it's it's a word for you, it's not a word for me. That's not true. God is talking to all of us. He's talking to you and me this morning about how we need to live our lives. And do well if we take heed. Of course, we can receive this Word of God in a number of ways. We can simply say, well, I just don't believe it's all that big a deal, and I can toss it aside. Then how can you say you're a Christian if you're not going to pay attention to what Jesus directly said? Do not worry. Or we can plead helplessness by saying, well, there's simply no way I can change. I've been this way for so many years, and it's not going to change until it's over. And we do this when we go around saying, also, there's, there's a reason I'm this way. There's a reason I'm just wired this way, kind of putting it off, trying to make a, somebody to understand why I am like I am. And if you understood the reason, that's what we have behind that. If you understood the reason I am the way I am, you would agree that it's okay. That I can be a little nervous, and I can be a little worrisome, and I can have some anxiety, You know, that's the no-responsibility routine. Or we can hear God's direction in our life and we can commit to that truth over and over and over again. We can commit to what Jesus is saying and allow the Holy Spirit of God to empower us, to enable us to live the abundant life that Jesus has given each one of us to live. To me, one of the (laughs) <laughs> the most affirming and courageous passages of Scripture is, is found in a, a little book way back in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3.17. And, and it's the word of, of, of a prophet who needed to be encouraged, who found these words empowering for his spirit in a very difficult place. In a very difficult time. And he said, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's feet. He enables me to tread on the heights. You know, when Jesus tells you and me not to be anxious, not to worry, He isn't just goading us with the impossible. He isn't just telling us, well, that's where you should shoot for, but I know you're never going to make it. No, no, it's possible. He isn't indifferent to our situations. He isn't indifferent to our temptations. He isn't indifferent to our needs. He very much wants for us, for you and for me, to find the better way, His way, and to find the joy and to know the victory of living in His grace, no matter what's going on around us. What makes us so anxious, do you say? Well, in this passage from Matthew, he identifies a number of reasons. And we can pretty much nod our head with every one of them. We, we, we're anxious and, and we worry because we, we're trying to make a living and it's hard to do. Or we're trying to provide the basic essentials of food and, and clothing and housing. Or we're obtaining possessions to keep up with the Gentiles in the rat rhetoric of life, you know. He called them pagans. We know who they are. All concerned about the future, tomorrow, next year. How are our children doing or not doing? How are we doing or not doing? And then all of that comes together in, in verse 25 of this text, and he says, um, About your life, what you will eat and drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And then he says, And he says, when you think about it, it sort of looks small food, drink, clothes. He lays the blame of our activity, of all of the the anxiety that we have, all of the worry that we get involved with on our quote-unquote little faith, shallow faith, unbelief. We're anxious because of our little faith. In verse 30, he says, O you of little faith, in twenty six he says, you are not much more are you not much more valuable than they talking about the birds of the air and, and the flowers in the fields? How God takes care of them and provides for them. You know when I think about the children's message this morning, you, you know, I thought as I was preparing for that, I've never seen birds plant seeds. I've never seen birds out there hoeing their garden, preparing you know, food, and putting it up for the winter. Now, squirrels are a little different. (laughs) They do that a little bit, anyhow. But I've never seen birds do it. I've never seen flowers primping, you know, to look beautiful. They just are beautiful. They just are pretty. They are adorned. But God takes care of them. God provides for them. And then in verse 32, Jesus says, Your heavenly Father knows. Knows what? Knows our needs. Knows our concerns. Knows everything about us. He knows when, we're, when we're, we're worried about stuff. Mostly stuff we can do nothing about. And he's doing something about it. That's the good news. I don't know about you, but this word becomes real personal. Because Jesus is saying, if I don't believe what he's telling me, then I'm not really believing in Him. I'm not really believing in God. That's what you say when you just go ahead and do your own thing. We're trying to say God isn't, doesn't have enough power, or God doesn't really care, or it's not His will, heaven forbid. Then I'm not trusting God to run His universe. <laughs> then I'm not trusting God to take care of my needs. I'm not trusting God to work out all the details of my life. All promises He has made. I don't have enough faith to totally rely upon Him. Jesus said it. Little faith. Little faith in God. Putting all my faith in myself. Who's in charge of my life? Who's in charge of your life? Oh, how we, can, we can't stand not to be in control. We want to manage things. We want to be in charge. We want to take care of every little part of life. And all of us fall into that. Some worse than others. But all of us are there. And then when we get things that pop into our life that we cannot control, and truly, if you would look at them, that's most of the time, we bury ourselves in worry and frustration. It's the God is my co-pilot mentality. We, we have so programmed ourselves into, into believing that we must be in control, that we must manage everything in our future. And we sort of bring God along on the side instead of letting God be the pilot and be in the lead. When we begin to recognize the impossibility of that task or when we begin to lose control, we sink into anxiety and worry. Think about just the simple task of driving to church this morning. Who was in control? I know. There were one of you thought you were behind the wheel, right? You were in control. You might have driven that car. But let me ask you, whose law of gravity kept it on the ground? Or you might have been steering that car down the road. But who kept those other drivers from hitting you head on? passing at 55 miles an hour, only a few feet away. Just think about it. God cares for us and manages our life so much every day, we don't even see it. We don't even think about it. We don't even recognize it. We have a role, oh yes, but we are far from in control. Try to avoid the flu. I mean, we take shots and all that stuff, But I know you could probably name many dozen of people who had the shot and still had the flu, right? And so we compromise it, and we say, well, you didn't have it as bad. Maybe. But who's really in control of all this? Or cancer? Or heart disease? Try to protect your children. Try to to hold them so tightly that they can't get in trouble. You might have tried that somewhere along the way. What foolishness. What foolishness. Try for just a few weeks to go without some sort of a problem, some sort of an episode to crash in. Can't be done, can it? None of those can be done. When we try to be in control, we will always be anxious, we'll always be filled with worry. God's answer to our anxiety? Well, Jesus spells it out real clearly in verse 33 and 4. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then, then, after you have sought first, all these things will be given unto you as well. You think about the kingdom of God, and what image comes to your mind? Well, is it the kingdom when Christ returns again, the second coming, in glory and victory, the end times? Is, is that what you think about when you think about the, the kingdom of God? Or is it when we pass from this life to the next, when we go to heaven, when we die, and we'll be with, with God in eternity? Is, is that the, the real kingdom? And certainly there are lots of references in Scripture to the kingdom of God that is to come. But how about when the when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God that has come? Has come. That came with Jesus. Mark one five says, the kingdom of God. Jesus say, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. It's right here. Paul told the Corinthian Christians in, in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, that the kingdom of God doesn't exist in talk, but in power. In other words, the kingdom of which you and I are to seek first is the reality of the abundant life now. That Jesus promised and, and he offers to everyone who will believe in him. The kingdom is realizing the blessings and the joys and the peace that God, of God's presence day in and day out, moment in and moment out of our life in this world. The kingdom has a king. A king who is able to heal and deliver and protect and provide. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry. If you make that kingdom your priority. That's what Jesus is saying. So how do we come into that kingdom? Well, we come by believing. That's what he says. By believing in the king, in Jesus Christ. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abram believed. Remember that story? Abram believed. Abraham, he was Abram before he got there, but when he believed he was Abram, he believed the Lord, and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. Seeking is believing, and the reward is the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. His kingdom, His righteousness. You see the connection to faith? Or more specifically to little faith? Remember what I said. It kind of gets personal. It really does. When you and I are, are, are believing, then, then we're opening up the doors to the kingdom. You and I have no claim on God's kingdom. No merit to receive it. It's only through faith. It's only through faith. John says in the beginning of, of his gospel to those who believe, to those who believe, he, God, Jesus, gives the power to become children. To those who believe. When you and I are born again, then we become heirs. We become heirs to the promises of God. Of course, we read in verse 32, this God knows every need. He knows our needs and he will take care of them all. Paul proclaimed to the Philippians in our first reading this morning, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And just think about how rich that is. So, as we hurtle into this time of Advent and Christmas with all the hustle and all the bustle, all the things to do and to be, and all the places we've, we've got to show up with a smile, hear and believe this word of Jesus. Don't worry, don't be anxious about today or tomorrow. Or anything else. Because if you're his child. God has already taken care of all that. And that doesn't mean we're going to get everything we want. No. But it does mean that we get what he wants. How much better. And it does mean that nothing will ever be able to rob us. Of the ultimate joy. And victory. Of God. He will provide the strength. He will provide the healing. He will provide the victory. As Paul says in Ephesians 3, He is able far to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together.